Hello, and welcome back to the Glossy Week in Review podcast. I'm your host, senior fashion reporter, Danny Parisi. Before we begin, I just wanted to take a moment to acknowledge the staggering, tragic events of the last two weeks. Um, Three pretty significant shootings in Buffalo, California, and Texas. Um, It feels uh, a little strange, a little banal to be talking about fashion and trends and fun stuff um, in the very immediate aftermath of something like this. So I just wanted to take a second to acknowledge that there are much more important things than fashion going on in the world, but also that fashion and beauty are a part of the world and they're not isolated from these things. And they're all part of the same existence. So just wanted to acknowledge that this is not maybe the most important thing in the world, but um, we do have a very special guest who is Glossy's senior reporter, Sarah Spruk-Feiner, who is joining us today instead of Jill. Sarah has been in charge of building Glossy Pop. Sarah, can you give our listeners a quick explanation of what Glossy Pop is? Yeah, of course. Hi, Danny. Um, hi, listeners. So if we, we often talk about Glossy as, you know, being about the intersection of fashion and business or beauty and business. And what I've done since I joined the team a little over a year ago is report and write on the intersection of both beauty and fashion and culture. Um, and that often means social media and TikTok trends, but it it also means responding to current events. I've been tracking how brands have been responding to the threat to Roe versus Wade. But we look at really how influencers and the internet and new emerging social media platforms are shaping the beauty and fashion industries that we report on. It's a lot of fun. Um, it's definitely a little bit less heavy on business and, um, you know, financial stuff and all of that than traditional glossy. Um, and it's it's been a very fun vertical to help shape and build. And we have a newsletter that goes out every Friday, and I highly encourage you to check it out if you haven't yet. I also highly encourage that. The Glossy Pop newsletter is very fun. It also looks beautiful. It looks a little different from our other newsletters. It's got a really fun design. And as you were saying, Sarah, I think Pop is a great example of what I was just saying, that fashion and beauty are are not isolated from what's going on in the world. And, and Pop is is where you can see a little bit more of how our industry is kind of you know, touch all these other parts of, of what's going on. So anyway, um, so this episode is going to be a little bit of, I've been thinking of it as, uh, the glossy pop episode. Um, it's, it's weekend review. We're going to be reviewing stuff just as we always do, but we're going to have a little bit more of a pop focus. So a little bit more trend facing or, 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 you know, influencer heavy kind of stuff. Um, all the things that Sarah reports on. So first, we're going to talk about the um, wedding of Kourtney Kardashian and Travis Barker, or as Sarah called it, uh, Kravis. Is that what you said? Kravis? I wish Kra- I could take Kra- credit. <laughs> it's definitely Kravis. I wish I could take credit for that. Um, moniker. I, there's a name for these for when they couple names. Oh, like yeah, these. I don't know. I don't know, um, but cra- the Kravis wedding. Um, so we'll talk about the Kravis yeah. wedding, which was very Dolce and Gabbana heavy. Um, we'll also talk about Emily Weiss leaving Glossier. Sarah will give us some insight on that. And finally, we're going to talk about some of the recent collaborations and developments over at Balenciaga under Demna. Um, speaking of fun names, uh, Demna is a mononym, which I always think is cool. 
And uh, Demina has definitely earned a mononym, but we'll get to that at the end. But let's start with the the Kravis wedding, um, the wedding of Kourtney Kardashian and Blink-182 drummer Travis Barker, maybe former drummer. Um, very, it's been strange seeing him like come back. It's like when a character in a TV show is like gone for five seasons and then reappears. That, that was like very trippy to me to have him like become like in the center of attention again. Anyway, um, so they got married over the weekend and this was like not something I had ever seen before. Their entire wedding was like one single designer like did uh, almost everybody's looks. It was Dolce & Gabbana. So like the bride and groom, obviously, like every outfit that they wore over this like several day long affair was all Dolce & Gabbana. The entire wedding party all wore Dolce & Gabbana. And there was like Dolce & Gabbana events like leading up to the wedding, you know, like influencers stuff. And th- it was it's. I don't think I've seen that level of like maniacal focus on like a or or like giving your entire wedding over to one brand to just let them turn it into like an ad basically, um, which was I don't know it was kind of strange to me. Sarah, what were your thoughts on on the the Kravis wedding and particularly Dolce and Gabbana just being everywhere all over it? I've definitely never quite seen that either. I did learn over the weekend um, just you know, vis-a-vis social media that apparently Kiara Faragni's wedding was also sponsored to some extent. Um, I believe it was by Dior. So it would appear that this is not the first time that a designer has sponsored someone's wedding, but it did seem that uh, the internet consensus was that that was done more tastefully, um, a little more subtly. I think people were really surprised, like you said, at the extent to which it seemed that the wedding was just handed over to Dolce & Gabbana, like, free reign, like, that leopard backdrop that Chris um, and a bunch of the other um, sisters were photographed in front of. Um, It really really does look like a backdrop for a D&G campaign. And, of course, that's, like, not even to mention the fact that this is a rather controversial brand, um, one that people dug up over the weekend had in the past called the Kardashians cheap. Um, people were very surprised that they would partner with them. And then some people were not so surprised and kind of thought, hmm, well, in some ways, this is the most natural partnership of these two sort of controversial, uh, you know, divisive cultural figures, brands, because the Kardashians are brands too, obviously. Um, And so, yeah, people had a lot of thoughts about this. (laughs) Yeah, and I can't decide if it's more of a power move for Dolce & Gabbana or for the Kardashians, like, to have them, have Dolce & Gabbana call them cheap and then, like, a couple years later have the entire wedding fee. Like, is that... Is that like a power move or is that like humiliating? I can't decide. And like for whom? Um, I, I I almost am like, like you said, the Kardashians are brands. And I'm I'm like, is this like a Dolce & Gabbana ad featuring the Kardashians or is it a Kardashian ad featuring Dolce & Gabbana? You know, like it's hard to tell who's like the bigger uh, figure and who's kind of like using who for for exposure, you know, or maybe it's just one of those like mutual things. No, it's like a chicken or the egg. Like, it's yeah. totally, it's almost like trippy to think about. And I don't know that I have a clear answer. I definitely saw some criticism in terms of like people feeling like, you know, the Kardashians don't need a wedding sponsor. But then I think other people are like, 
yeah, if a, you know, couture designer wants to give you boatloads of, you know, a weekend's worth of countless events and yacht attire and dinner attire and lunch attire and, of course, your wedding dress, then sure, why not? Like, laugh all the way to the bank. So I, I don't know. I think it's kind of easy and interesting and fascinating to see both sides and then obviously, you know, the ROI for them in terms of like, you know, we're talking about them. We're talking about mm-hmm. all of them, right? So yeah. yeah, we're talking about both. And launch metrics, um, who they're they're they calculate like media impact value, which is sort of that like um like the value of uh exposure, like the value of of publicity. Um they estimated that DNG, I don't know about the Kardashians, but DNG earned like $30 million worth of like media attention um, from this. So at the very least, like I'm sure Dolce & Gabbana is very happy. Um, I also think, you know, you you mentioned like the Chiara Ferrigny, like this absolutely was like the definition of not subtle. Like it was, you know, it's, I definitely think was past the point of tastefulness. Um, but it's also to me kind of like the logical endpoint of like influencer dumb, you know, like if you, if you monetize or, um, commercialize like every other part of your life, like why stop at your wedding? You know? And like you said, it's not necessarily a new concept, especially for like famous people and, and, you know, people with huge, um, followings to have your wedding be an event. There's been, you know, Royal weddings and stuff have been a thing for like forever. So it's not like a new concept, but it does feel like kind of a next level, uh, of, of just com- completely monetizing every aspect of your life. Yeah. And also, just a quick aside, I mean, look, on the one hand, I feel like the Kardashians, I don't know how much they need, like, you know, increased discussion. Like, everybody is already constantly talking about them. But I found it. They generated a total of $14 million, representing 30% of the entire weekend. And this was only on Monday, uh, her veil alone, which had that like um, face in it, um, was seven point seven million in MIV. So it's, I mean, that's like pretty colossal. I do. I'm inclined to think that Dolce and Gabbana or not, this wedding would have been, you know, pretty heavily discussed. Yeah, like for so many different reasons. But that's just like that's pretty wild. Yeah, that's pretty wild. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Well, let's move on to our second topic, which is Emily Weiss leaving Glossier, which I think was on um, was that Tuesday when the news came out. Um, uh, she founded the company in 2014, and she is now stepping down along with CMO Ali Weiss. Are they related? Do you know? They are not related. That is okay, a very just, common question. <laughs> okay, so that's just a coincidence. So. This is what I, I'm a fashion reporter. I always cover fashion. So this is, I think, is an area you might know a little bit more about. Can you give us some context on Glossier and Emily Weiss and all that? Um, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Emily Weiss is really considered a genius by many in the beauty community. She, you know, came up as an intern. Um, she was very famously on, I think it was The Hills. I am like the only millennial to never watch that show. So I... Never saw her famous cameos, but they're there. They're talked about to this day. Um, she founded a blog called Into the Gloss, which she, you know, got the idea by sort of being on photo shoots and seeing sort of, um, you know, what 
people like supermodels and and celebrities were using in on their top shelves of their uh, you know, vanities, what were the makeup secrets that they had picked up from having professionals do their faces all the time backstage at shows. And she founded this blog called Into the Gloss, which really took off because it gave people this behind-the-scenes look at, you know, notable people's beauty routines. And then came Glossier, which was sort of in many ways heralded so much of like the past 10 years in terms of the beauty industry aesthetic and like what's been popular from the you know minimal millennial pink branding to the no makeup makeup um and you know detractors have have said that it's sort of always been makeup for people who already had perfect skin but um as I was you know reading about her stepping down from CEO um she has garnered incredible amounts of praise for not only being the visionary behind the company but also bringing the company to the $100 million in sales mark. Um, Usually that's like not even the same person that does those two things. Um, So Emily Weiss is is very incredibly well-respected and I think it's really hard for people to imagine um, what's next for Glossier, which is almost 10 years old. Um, Without her behind it, it's always been a company that has been staunchly D to C and now some of the early articles, again, this news is like 24 hours old, but some of the early articles are saying that um, the company will be doing wholesale relationships for the first time in its history. So this is mm-hmm. this is big for Glossier. There was a, um, a good business of fashion piece about her leaving and that was one of the things they mentioned was that um, Glossier was one of the like early or or at least like prominent DTC brands like back in the mid 2000s that was sort of like pushing that whole DTC kind of wave. Um, and they mentioned in the article that that's like not a unique advantage anymore. And, and that's something I've been thinking about because the like DTC is is not novel. Like there everybody is is DTC or does a lot of like direct business, even if they also do wholesale. I, I feel like we have thoroughly gotten to the point where um, like a mix is kind of back to being like kind of the, the best way to do it. Um, at the e-commerce forum, the glossy e-commerce forum, like two weeks ago, um, Takun was saying exactly that. Basically, he was like, he started out only wholesale, then moved to only DTC. And like now he's just finally starting to do a little bit of stuff with Nordstrom, a little bit of stuff with some specialty stores. So it seems like that's really where a lot of the um, momentum is moving, like rather than just you know, living and dying by wholesale or only doing direct and having zero relationship with any of those retailers and missing out on some of the things that can be helpful for them. It seems like a kind of mostly direct with maybe just a little bit of selective like wholesale business where it makes sense is, is appealing to a lot of those brands that um, that thrived on just DTC. So it would be interesting to see Glossier go there. And so some more context on Glossier outside of... Um, Emily, why specifically? I feel like when I first started at Glossy, I heard about Glossier all the time as successful. And I feel like in the last couple of years, it's been a little bit more embattled. Is that the right term you think? Just And I'm, this is purely just from like little snippets I've heard from, you know, hearing you guys talk about stuff in the beauty world. Yeah, totally. Um, I mean, there have been some accusations of, you know, um, you know, different 
criticisms of the workplace vibe. And, you know, those have been, some have been, I think, taken more seriously than others. And I think in general, it's just beauty gets more and more crowded every day. And Glossier um, sort of blew up before um, quote unquote clean beauty was like the buzzword du jour. And now you have sort of upstart brands like Say and Kosas that are doing sort of, and that's just like two out of many, but that are doing sort of minimal makeup with clean ingredients. And that then became the hot thing. So then maybe gloss and, and, and both of those are sold at Sephora and, you know, some of, some are sold at the specialty, you know, clean beauty stores like Credo, um, or Goop or Detox Market. And so again, like you were saying, Danny, with you, you start to see the maybe holes in this, um, system of like, you know, D to C or nothing. And, you know, I remember when that, when Glossier launched, it really was like the peak era of like Everlane and Warby Parker and Away and all you heard in terms of like, and I was a fashion reporter back then and all you heard was sort of like this cut out the middleman speak. And now I think that there's this kind of reckoning about like exactly what you were saying that maybe there's some in-between happy medium um, balance. I think now what Glossier has to contend with is that, you know, they're not, of course, just competing with like, you know, drugstore, L'Oreal, whatever, or Estee Lauder, Mac, they're competing with all these other brands that sort of came after them and learned from them and in many ways exist because they exist. Like Glossier paved the path for literally dozens and dozens of beauty brands. But now, how did they remain like at the front of that pack? And I'm not sure that they've figured out um, their answer there. You know, one thing, um, our our sibling site, Modern Retail, broke the news of their layoffs a couple months ago. And those layoffs happened in, you know, a really short summary because essentially Glossier was trying to build a tech platform as well as be a beauty company. Um, and they were, I think, going back and forth on that for a long time. What was this, you know, tech platform slash social media network for beauty lovers and for Glossier's community going to be? And now ultimately they laid off most of those employees and are like, okay, we're a beauty brand. So now what? Um, so it will be, yeah, I will definitely be following what's next for them very closely. Yeah, for sure. Let maybe make one more point on that. I, I think that yeah. the... Uh, what you were saying about like trying to find an in-between between like DTC and wholesale. I think one element of that also is that uh, at the beginning of the like Warby Parker kind of era, uh, the only really issue with DTC was just like making sure people know about the brand and, and like customer acquisition was like a lot cheaper back then from what I've heard. Um, so people always talk about the cost of acquiring customers through like Instagram or whatever. I'm like, do you remember the era of like in every Instagram ad was like the Warby Parker of toothbrushes, the Warby Parker of like earplugs, like the were it was, and it, they all had kind of a similar aesthetic and everything, but it was sort of like, they were all like kind of successful at least, but now that's a lot harder. And one of the benefits of getting in like Nordstrom or something is they just put you on the shelf in Nordstrom and anyone who walks by will see it. And like, that's super valuable. Um, and if it's, gets really cost prohibitive to to just be DTC and and try to acquire all your customers yourself with like no no store even because that's the other thing if you don't have a physical store there's like very few ways to just stumble upon something um so I think that's part of it and then the other thing I was going to say is Glossier I always always get 
people always confuse that I like thinking that <laughs> I work at Glossier. Um, so that's just something that happens a lot. Um, I anyway, find that too. <laughs> I've had like full conversations with people where the whole time they thought I worked at Glossier. And then they like asked me something that made no sense. Um, but anyway, let's talk about our, uh, our last topic is going to be about Balenciaga. So this, the news, the timely part of this is that Balenciaga has this collaboration with Adidas, but I thought it would be a good opportunity to talk about just some of the cool stuff that Balenciaga has done under Demna. Um, they, their last two shows, I feel like have both been super like buzzy. The, the, their winter 2022 show was back in, I think March. And that was like right after the invasion of Ukraine and Demna got a lot of praise for his very heartfelt words about like war and being a refugee because he's a refugee himself from Georgia. And, um, there, it just was like the perfect moment for that. He, he had very thoughtful, I thought things to say about what was going on and it felt important because of that. Their most recent show last week was in, um, the, on the floor of the New York Stock Exchange. And it was this kind of like intense, interesting thing where they was wearing these like, the models were wearing these latex black body suits. And, uh, but then over that, like kind of almost parodic, like 80s, like, you know, uh, shoulder pads and power suits and stuff. And it was like this very, like, I think the choice of venue as the New York Stock Exchange was like very uh, intentional. Um and and just like using fashion to like go after these big bold ideas like war and capitalism and like all this stuff was is is very admirable to me. Um, and then on top of that, they've got these cool collaborations with like Adidas and um, and they also have one with Yeezy and Gap. Although that one was paused because of the the, the shooting in Texas. Um, so another example of fashion kind of not existing in in a vacuum. So I just think taken all together. Um, Demna and Balenciaga to me are very exciting. It's an exciting brand right now. It feels like when they have a new show or a new collaboration, it feels like appointment viewing kind of, you know, like you have to pay attention to what they're doing. Um, I know you don't cover this area as much, Sarah, but what what are your thoughts on sort of just uh, their timeliness and just kind of like feeling like they're, they're tackling things that I think a lot of other fashion brands aren't tackling? Yeah, I mean, there's this really interesting sort of irony with the adidas collaboration to me that i feel like diet prada hit on really well they did this post where they have like like you know the original adidas like tank dress and it's literally 45 dollars, and then the balenciaga adidas collaboration and it's 1550 dollars mm-hmm. for and like an identical the- dress basically virtually identical it's just that under you know the adidas logo it says balenciaga instead of adidas and what really killed me was this the comment that i guess is like pinned or has the most likes on instagram was just this one comment it just literally says if you buy any of this that is simply on you (laughs) (laughs) yeah like which i mean it's interesting from a brand that's at once like commenting on capitalism and then like extremely, extremely contributing to it, right? Yeah. Like for mm-hmm. lack of a more nuanced way to say that. Yeah. And and it's and it's kind of funny because like you laugh at it, but then it's sort of like, isn't that kind of the entire luxury fashion industry? Like, is any like five thousand dollar dress really worth five thousand dollars? Or are they all kind of like inflated like that? I think on the one hand, um, like fast fashion is like 
way cheaper than any clothes should be just in terms of like making sure everybody's paid correctly. But also a lot of luxury stuff is like, uh, if you were just going to go by like cost of materials plus labor, then there's like an extra several thousand dollars on top of that for <laughs> like no reason. And the Adidas one is interesting to me because like, like you said, there's like the Adidas dress uh, or there's the Balenciaga dress that's identical to an Adidas dress, but it costs like more. But then they also have like the Adidas triple S, which is like an identical version of Balenciaga's triple S sneaker, but it just has the Adidas logo. But that one is the same price as a normal triple S. So there's this interesting thing around luxury and price where it's like the Balenciaga name put on an Adidas product can bring the Adidas product's price up, but the Adidas name put on a Balenciaga product does not bring the price down to Adidas prices. You know what I mean? So I just thought that was interesting. But you're right also that there's this dichotomy where it's like, oh, what if that's a, a, a comment on this thing? And it's like, yeah, it is that, but it's also like a business. He's still making money. You know, it's a it's still a product. And the show, as artistic and, and as bold as I think it was, it's still basically an ad, as all those shows are. Yeah. And I mean, it's just, it's funny seeing the reactions. I think some people think this is, and, and I think Danny, you think it's kind of, you know, brilliant. I think I'm, I'm kind of torn. I see people calling it anti-fashion, a publicity strategy. Adidas is just collaborating with anyone. Um, Addy, don't buy this collection <laughs> was another one that I saw. Yeah. Um, I think I mean I agree with what you said about the the sneaker not like the the price reverse for lack of a better term and then there's like a pair of $1300 jeans it would appear and a $1000 jersey and I mean this isn't the first time we've seen this right like these luxury streetwear collaborations where it's like the athletic gear on its own would be probably under $100 but then with the designer stamp, it's much, much, much more. Um, it's a status symbol, I think, just like anything else. Like, and and then not to mention that these things are often made in limited quantities and sell out nearly immediately. And so it's also, you know, were you able to get your hands on Did it? Did you even fast get it? Enough? Yeah. 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 Right. That's a that's a good point, and I think about that a lot with like. Like you said, there's a ton of streetwear and luxury collaborations at this point that's like not new at all. The the Supreme and Louis Vuitton collaborations like more than five years ago, I think, at this point. So it's 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 like almost um a cliche now. And Adidas even has worked with like four or five different like like they've done stuff with Gucci, they've done stuff with Prada and stuff. Um, but I do think there's this the the limited quantity thing is interesting because I feel like they could have gotten away with pricing the adidas thing much lower because it's still gonna like resell for so much and it's gonna be in a limited quantity and like i i often think that like if uh there's a lot of stuff that resells for a lot that the retail price is very affordable like uh, a lot of nike sneakers are less than 200 dollars. like the the typically the more expensive nike sneakers retail price is like 120 to 180 but if it's like if they're really hard to get and they get snapped up immediately by like bots and resellers and then 99% of the people who own this shoe paid like $800 for it, is it not then just like an $800 shoe? You know, like, cause no, very few people actually paid the retail price. So I don't know. The the thing with like luxury and price and exclusivity is, is there's a lot of messiness there, but it's very interesting. 
Cool. Well, I think that's all we've got for today. Sarah, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for filling in and and giving us a little taste of Glossy Pop, too. Thanks for having me, Danny. For those of you who are listening, if you have not given us a rating and a review, I would love if you did that. It's very helpful, um, whether it's on Apple Podcasts or wherever you're listening to this. And if you have not subscribed, you should do that as well, because not only will you hear me and uh, Jill sometimes, but also Zofia and sometimes Sarah um, talking about the Week in Review every Friday. You'll also hear Jill talking to uh, some special, smart, interesting person from the industry every Wednesday. So uh, make sure you do that. And thank you again for listening.